Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Okay, we're in 1 Samuel 3. And I'm going to call this two birds with one stone. Two birds with one stone. My, my grandfather, in, uh, during the, uh, the Depression era, uh, they, they didn't do as, the same thing in grocery shopping that we do. They, they actually hunted. They went in the woods with guns and they shot stuff and ate it. And they ate squirrels. Yes, the cute little things you see running around the trees, that was, that was food. My great-grandfather, his dad, he gave him some bullets to, to shoot with. And he said, here's, say, if he gave him six bullets, he said, you better come back with six squirrels. I better get a squirrel per bullet. And so that means you better not miss. Okay, well, one day he was shooting at some squirrels and he missed one. He got so scared that his dad was going to whoop him when he got back to the house that he waited and waited and waited for the perfect opportunity for two squirrels to line up and he shot both of them with one bullet he actually killed two squirrels with one bullet so that he would bring his average back up so that he could go back with a squirrel per per shell and great granddad wanted to see the shells and he wanted to see the squirrels to match it okay that's just the way it was well there's a saying if you kill if you kill two birds with one stone that means you're getting you're you're accomplishing two goals with one action you accomplish two goals with one action and first samuel 3 we're going to see that happen and so i'm just going to call it two birds with one stone because it's catchy, and when you title the podcast that, it makes people listen. Uh, believe it or not, the most listened to podcast that we have right now is one from James called Money, Money, Money. For some reason, everybody's listening to that one. First Samuel 3 and 1. Two birds with one stone. This is Samuel's first prophecy. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was. And while Samuel was lying down that the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here I am. So he ran to Eli. And said, here I am for you called me. And he said, I didn't call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Verse 7, pay particular attention to this. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Verse 8. 
And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Okay, interesting point there that, you know, here's Samuel, he's in the priesthood, he's been dedicated and all this stuff by his mom, but he doesn't know the Lord. It says so. He didn't know the Lord yet. (laughs) And guess what the Lord is doing? He's calling him. You did not just wake up one day and go, hmm, I think I'll get saved today. That's not how it works. The reason you gave your life to Christ is because God called you. Jesus even said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. It's all God's work. Don't pride yourself that I did any part of this. The Lord did it before you even cared. So that's just a little picture in there. Samuel doesn't know the Lord yet, and the Lord is calling him. I think that's fantastic news because, you know, we're faulted, and we're, we got our errors and our flaws and all that. And you're thinking, man, there's nothing of me that's righteous at all. There's not. That's why God had to do every bit of it, okay? But by this time... Samuel had gone through a little bit of priestly training at Shiloh, and that's where he's at, where the tabernacle's at. Now, this is a a tremendous moment for Samuel to hear directly from God early in his work. This is very early in Samuel's history, and he hears from God so early. And I can relate to this. Here's why it's such a big deal to me. Because when you're new at something, when you're the newbie, when you're the noob, the new minister and you're fresh, the thought of going at it on your own full scale is you got your doubts about yourself. You know, am I really going to be able to do this? I'm real blessed to have been given an early confirmation in my calling way early when I just got started. I went through Bible college and did all that stuff, but it wasn't until I actually quit my career in radio work and actually went in the ministry full time and then got on a plane and flew to Israel that I was at this uh, prayer meeting among Jewish people. And I remember going uh, through, through the, I landed early in the morning and it was dark and I'm in Israel and I'm in a car in Israel and I'm driving through Israel and I'm looking out the window and I can't see a thing. You're in Israel and you can't see anything. That's irritating. <laughs> You're finally here and there's nothing to... I saw a water tower that had... Somebody had a projector on it and it made the water tower look like a giant glass of Coke. I mean, it it actually filled up and bubbled and everything. It said Coca-Cola. That was my first thing I saw in Israel. Okay? I wanted to see Israel and I couldn't see it. So we went and stayed at a house and we woke up that morning and they were having a prayer meeting and I walk in and the Jews were coming in and they're going to have a prayer meeting for their Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. And the Lord said, this is the first thing I wanted you to see. I'm like, okay, I'll take it. You know, instead of seeing the rocks and the desert, he wanted me to see the living stones of Israel. Okay, that's good. Well, when I'm in another country, I keep my mouth shut because I don't know the culture that well and you don't want to stick your you know, foot in your mouth and do something stupid. So I'm all quiet and this guy points me out in front of everybody. He goes, I got a word for that young man right there. 
And I'm trying to stay out of the way because I'm the Gentile in the room, okay? Well, he's got something for me. And he says, when I saw you, I saw a tower. And I want you to know the Lord took it down and did away with it. That man didn't know me. He was from Canada. Never met him before in my life. He had no clue that I just left the radio industry to come into ministry full time. And he's talking about a tower that got taken down and put away. I used to go work at tower sites on transmitters. And I was scared I made a wrong move and I dropped my good career. I was scared. And this guy tells me this. The Lord has taken that tower away. Well, I thought, well, that's not good enough. I want more. So I got him later and I said, hey, I need you to elaborate on that tower. What was that tower specifically? Tell me. And he goes, oh, well, uh, it, it was metal. It was, I guess, metallic or mechanical. Or, and that's the way towers are. They're mechanical and they're metallic because you've got to fit them together. And you've got to run thing, coax lines up and bolt stuff to it. It's mechanical and it's metallic. Exactly. And he told me all this detail, and I said, would it surprise you to know I just quit a job in radio to do full-time ministry? And that guy just about lost it. He realized what he said was some prophetic thing. I needed to hear that, though, because I was scared I made a mistake leaving my job to go into ministry that didn't pay near as good. What am I going to do if I mess up? What happens if I bomb it? Well, wait a minute. The Lord took that tower down and did away with it. It's don't look back. And the scripture even says that. He who puts his hand to the plow and turns back is not fit for this kind of work. So I felt completely assured. I'm like, bam, I've got the best confirmation of a calling I've ever heard of any pastor having. And I wish and hope and pray that all pastors could get a confirmation that good that early. And so when I look here, that Samuel's being called by the Lord like this, it's extremely, it, it really resonates with me. And, and I'm sure it worked good for Samuel too to hear that confirming call so early because that instills a lot of great confidence and assurance despite your flaws. I was glad to have that. And I'm putting myself in Samuel's shoes that he heard from the Lord like this too. There's always people who will work against your calling, whether you're a pastor or just whoever you are in the kingdom work. You know there's people that work against you. And they will do it because deep down they have an absolute hatred of God and anyone that would be attending to the work of the Lord. So they're going to have an inherent opposition to anybody that has a calling. And these people will try to make you doubt your calling. They'll jump in the way. They'll try to confuse anything they can to try to knock you out. The point I'm trying to make here is that for God to personally have called Samuel before being put to work on the task ahead, that I can see that the Lord was giving Samuel great comfort and great assurance. God was saying, I've got this. Despite how flawed you know you are, I'm the one that does this. God is is ensuring that in Samuel. And I pray he's done that for you too. So this moment with Samuel really hit me hard because I, I just I just love it uh, how he God called Samuel and it was confirmed to Samuel through Eli. It wasn't just Samuel alone. Eli was part of it as well. And so that was a good confirmation, very motivating. Now, as verse 1 says, it says, The word of the Lord was rare in those days. This means that God had not been speaking to people at that time. God's not talking. But after a long time of silence from God, suddenly you've got Eli and Samuel. They both hear from the, the Lord on two separate occasions. Eli had just heard from God recently. He, he warned him, I'm going to take you, 
your because your sons, because you didn't hold your sons back from abusing that, kicking at that sacrifice, I'm going to remove your line. So he did hear from him, and now Samuel's hearing from him. And at a time when God's not talking, I'm sure a lot of people would have had a reason to doubt the authenticity of hearing from God. You didn't hear from God. You just think you heard from God. He hadn't talked to nobody. Those doubters trying to make you doubt your call, right? But God really is not involving everybody else right now, is he? He's only involving Eli and Samuel in this at this time. But when the Lord speaks, he will work out what he says, regardless of what other people think about it. God is now going to make a move because there's sin in the priesthood. He's got to make a move to protect Israel from transgressing further. So Samuel keeps hearing the Lord calling him, but he thinks it's Eli. I thought that was kind of a neat story. He keeps running to Eli's room. (laughs) I mean, after all, why would it be the Lord? I mean, he hasn't been talking. It's got to be Eli. And it's interesting how he hears like an audible, an audible voice speaking. And what strikes me is that verse 8 says, Eli perceived. Eli perceived. Wait a minute. Isn't he the guy that God's taking out of the priesthood? Isn't he the guy that's under disciplinary action? But it says Eli perceived. Eli's about to get canned, but he still has the ability to recognize the Lord at work here. Now, something about this that I see is just because the Lord is about to remove Eli... That does not mean that Eli is condemned for all eternity. I think that's what people do when they see matters like this. Our culture today is so extremely negative judgmental that we have this habit that we like to find a fault in someone and then sandblast them with accusation until they fall. And when they fall, we are satisfied because they fell. Good. He fell. He needed to fall. He was a piece of dirt. That's the way we're all doing today. You see it in the news. This group needs to fall. That group needs to fall. As soon as they do or get voted out, everybody goes, hooray, we win. And they forget they have their own faults. (laughs) We need to stop that, right? Proverbs 24 and 17, it says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. This is ungodly behavior. And so we're not going to do this against Eli either. Oh, Eli's bad. He's got to go. I can't wait to see him fall. No, you shouldn't be glad to watch him fall at all. Because any one of us may have a fall coming ourselves. But Eli's about to to fall. And it's not our place to throw unwarranted labels on him. And we, we really need to stop acting like this. Because it goes on a lot today. It's ungodly behavior. And so the first knee-jerk reaction that people have about Eli is that he is wicked because God is going to remove him. So he's wicked. He's got to go, and I can't wait to see it happen. But it says Eli perceived. Now, I really, verse 8 just grabbed me. Eli perceived. It's not that Eli is so wicked that his removal from the priesthood equates to Eli being eternally condemned. Scripture never said that Eli did not know the Lord. Scripture says his sons did not know the Lord. Look at 1 Samuel 2 and 12. Let's take you back for a second. It says, who? Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. I'm under the impression Eli knows the Lord. And that's why he has the ability to perceive that it's the Lord at work here with Samuel. 
In fact, later in chapter 8, here's another one for you. It tells us that Samuel's own sons ended up wicked just like Eli's sons did. Eli and Samuel are pretty much kind of in the same boat. And if you remember Israel, they demanded a king. It's because they refused to have Samuel's sons rule over them in the same way that Eli's sons were doing. And we know Samuel's saved, a saved righteous guy. So let's not knock on Eli too hard. In fact, and I'm going to bring this up again. If you look at what we read in verse 7, when the Lord first started calling Samuel, it says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. So far, Eli is the only guy in the story that actually knows God. (laughs) It just seems, what? (laughs) But Eli's the one on his way out. But Eli is the only guy right now that knows the Lord. Eli had failures. Eli had mistakes. Eli had flaws. And you know what? There is not a single one of us who is not guilty of the very same thing. You know, I look at Eli and I see myself, a guy who messed up, but still with the Lord. So let's recognize a very important moment in the text here that Eli still has godly discernment, even though he has to face the consequences of his actions. You know, when you're a believer in the Lord, the Lord never eliminates you for making mistakes. Did you know that? Once you get saved in Jesus and you make a mistake, and maybe even twice or three times, the Lord doesn't go, okay, you're not saved anymore. He doesn't do that. He knows we're sinful. That's why he sent Jesus. The problem that people have about the eternal security, the the once saved, always saved, first of all, that is biblical. But the problem that a lot of people have with sealed salvation is that they believe it condones a sin license. Once saved, all saved, always saved. Well, that means I can sin all I want to. No, it doesn't. Just look at Eli. That man, I believe, is righteous, but he's having to answer to the consequences of his sin. So once saved, always saved. Hey, let's party like the devil. No. Eli is about to answer to what he's done. You don't want to be there. But it does not mean Eli lost his godly discernment. God has not totally forsaken him to the point of condemnation. You better look at Eli's situation because if you think the promise of salvation means you get to sin like crazy, you're way off and you're absolutely ignoring what's going on with Eli. He is exhibiting proof of being a believer while at the same time he's about to be cut off because of things he's done. Now, Sin license advocates, you better weigh Eli's story into your thought process before you deny that salvation is a promise. Ephesians 1 says it is a promise. Weigh Eli's story into your thought process before you disregard it. I'm very big on making this point adamantly clear because a lot of people have come at me over this subject. They think that I'm saying, hey, you're saved, go party, get drunk, do drugs, do whatever you want. Who cares? Fornicate, whatever. It's all up to you. You're fine. And it's not what I'm saying at all. Look at Eli. He has to answer to the consequences. Don't make the same mistake that he did. But it is so good to see Eli giving Samuel godly discernment. He gave him godly advice. This is the man who's about to be penalized, and he's still helping Samuel. Eli's actually acting in line with the Lord's will here. 
Now, I'm saying all this because I know that you know your flaws better than anybody else does. You know your mistakes more, better than anybody else does, and you think that somehow disqualifies you. It doesn't. doesn't mean you get to keep doing it. You need to fix it, but it does not disqualify you. If you continue in it, it may cut you off early, but when you're saved, the Lord promises that. Just be aware. Okay, so Eli tells Samuel how to respond. Eli perceives, but he tells Samuel, here's how you need to respond to the Lord. First Samuel 3 and 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. That's deep. It ain't forgiven. It ain't forgiven. Well, why would God never forgive that? God forgives everything. No, he doesn't. If you don't repent, he won't. And you're about to see they would not repent. He already told them, guys, stop it. What you're doing is wrong. And they didn't listen to him. They went on unrepentant. And so the Lord announces his promise to Samuel. He's going to remove Eli's family, Eli's house from the priesthood. And that it's all about to go down. Again, put yourself in Samuel's shoes. Wait a minute. I'm studying under them, and they're about to go, which leaves me. (laughs) Hello, no pressure. But remember, God called him. God may call you to something, and it all comes down on you. Don't flip out, because if he called you, you're good. If God calls you to something, he also empowers you to do it. And so the specific reason he tells he gets Samuel in on it the specific reason for Eli's removal is listed here Samuel is informed exactly why Eli's family is going to be removed the Lord said I will judge his house meaning his family for the iniquity that Eli knows Eli knows about it it's not that he's not aware he's well aware and he didn't do anything about it he did not restrain his sons he disobeyed Now, Eli had no excuse to claim that he didn't know about it. God told Samuel he knew about it. And, you know, God expects, God demands that ministerial leadership restrain those who commit willful sin that causes the rest of the assembly to sin also. That's one of the uncomfortable points in the work that I do is when unrepentant, willful sin goes on in the assembly, I am required to restrain it. It's not comfortable, but it is commanded. And I understand why Eli didn't do it, because it's awkward. Now, if you remember in chapter 2, Eli only told his sons to stop. He just spoke to them mere words. But Eli never took any action on it. He never did anything about protecting the Lord's offering that his sons were abusing. He should have acted. He had the authority to do it, and he didn't do anything. And so it's now time for judgment. And God did not send a prophet to address Eli's sons. The prophet addressed who? He addressed Eli. Now, Eli could have said, well, the sons are the ones doing it. The prophet says, you did not restrain them with the authority God gave you. 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.